thanks for having me. Um, we have a, just a, a short few PowerPoint uh, pictures just so you can um, see a bit of about our context. Um, go ahead and pull it from. Um, so we're Baptist Missions. Um, we haven't coordinated our slide changes, so we're going to be winging this. Um, Baptist Missions, planting, proclaiming Christ, planting churches, that's what we're about. I'll talk a bit about that later. So this is me and my wife, Anya, um, my three children. We don't always dress like that. Um, we just take very few pictures. Um, so it was our 10-year anniversary a few weeks ago, um, and so it was either that or Christmas photos. So there you, there you go. Um, Tomas is our oldest boy. Tara is a, a girl who's four. Tomas is six, Tara's four, and Senan is two. Senan's potty training at the moment, which is why I've, I've organized a nice long trip away. Um, <laughs> I, di I did a, a day or two during the week, and I'm uh, on deal break. Um, the next picture, I think, is a map. Um, and so when, when we talk about North Dublin, this is what I mean. Um, so this is, I would call it the North City of Dublin. Um, so if you see that river, you see the river there, um, that's the centre of Dublin, um, and then outside that is the M50. So if you drive down to Dublin, you come to that big motorway, that's the outskirts of that area, and then the edge is the city centre. So we're not quite city centre, but we're not suburbs either, really. Um, the, that big area, that red area, has 230,000 people in it, um, and that's increasing very rapidly. There's our sending church, Jamestown Road Baptist Church, which is... Uh, probably similar size to this, um, and a Baptist church that's been there a long time. Um, there's a couple of Pentecostal churches that are, are probably preaching the gospel, and a lot of ethnic churches that are very, very dysfunctional, you know, um, and aren't reaching any Irish people, um, and us. So 220,000 people, and at most you've got, I would say, four places where the gospel is being proclaimed um, on, on a Sunday. So that big red area, that's a bit big. 230,000 people is kind of too many for me to think about. So we have that little purple area down the bottom left of that um, is our target area. Um, and that's 52,000 people, which is not really a more manageable figure, but, um, but that's um, what we're thinking about if we run an event or something. That's, um, but realistically, um, we're not reaching a huge amount of that, but that's where the people from our, our church plant are, um, are coming from. The next picture, um, North Dublin is post-Catholic. So 85% of people in North Dublin are from, are, are Irish. There's 15% immigrants, um, but the vast majority, there's almost no historical Protestant presence. There's a few Church of Ireland buildings, but no one has been meeting them for a long, long time really. Um, so you're talking about 85% of people who basically used to be practicing Catholic. You meet some older people who go, who go along to Catholic churches, but they're almost empty. And since COVID especially, they just haven't gone back because they're older people concerned about their health and all that. This church building um, used to see 3,500 people. So if you walk out my front door, there's a kind of a hill, um, the next area over Fingless West the top of the hill, Fingless West, it was built around this church building, the Church of the Annunciation, three and a half thousand people. Because when they built the area, the social housing area in the um, early 50s, it was the Catholic Church had a lot of influence, so they, they got the best site in, in the middle, and the whole area was built around that. So apparently it was quite difficult to heat, so they knocked it down. They're building, uh, I think it's 250-person um, church. Um, so out of this area, 
I think that, that area has maybe 22,000 people. The most they're hoping is a couple of hundred people going to any kind of church. Um, so that's pretty typical across, um, across North Dublin. It's post-Catholic. So some people are a bit influenced by it, but most people have left it behind. Majority are pretty bitter and negative about it. There's a few people who are positive and miss some of the community aspects. A few people miss some of the, the moral and ethical aspects of it. But whatever, it's in the past. Um, it's not really the present. The next picture is more what, what Dublin is like now. Um, I took this picture this morning. That's our little sign for the church. Um, and um, every Sunday morning, put that out in the road. Um, and we're just down that little side road um, in the local community centre. Um, this is what it's turning into. Um, very, very dense, um, lots of apartments. It's North Dublin is the cheaper part of the city. It's not at all cheap. Um, it's very expensive, but compared to the south side, um, it's, it's cheaper. So um, a lot of people move there. If they, they're working in Dublin or studying, they'll come and live near us. So we live two or three minutes away from that. Um, and there's just people everywhere. Um, a lot of people working in tech companies, so, so I we got a dog, so I take the dog for a walk around 5 o'clock and the streets are thronged with people with these kind of bleary eyes just trying to get a bit of fresh air because they've been stuck at home working in front of a computer all day. Um, so that's our area really. The next picture is inside the community centre, this is a couple of years old actually that picture, but that's what our Sunday meetings look like. Um, we were sent out by Jamestown Road, but without a team. There weren't really people from within Jamestown Road to send with us. So we've kind of gathered together <coughs> a few people who were Christians, but were very disaffected, disillusioned with church, and, and a few people who are not Christians, a few people who have become Christians in the last few years. So that's kind of who we've, we've gathered. Um, and um, on a year average Sunday, we'd have maybe 15 adults or, or thereabouts, and you know, maybe eight children. Um, and the next picture is a baptism we had recently. We've had a, a few baptisms, um, which was, was done with Jamestown Road Church. And um, this one of them women there, this woman um, became a Christian through a attending her friend's baptism two years ago. Um, she had some kind of Christian background, a second generation immigrant. Her parents were Nigerian, had heard a lot of, I would say, false gospel, um, kind of walked away from that because it's just a very culturally different thing, and comes along to her friend's baptism, hears the gospel, becomes a Christian at some stage over the last couple of years, and has been baptized, and invites all her friends um, to, to who are hearing the gospel for the first time. So that's been a really powerful thing. We've had two baptisms this year, but similar situations like that. Um, the next picture is, I love this picture so much. Baptisms are great, joyful occasions, it's the guy in the water. I don't know if you can see him. There's a guy just out for a swim. Um, it's a beautiful little kind of secluded, quiet beach um, sheltered that we, we go to. Um, and this guy is out for a swim on a Sunday afternoon, and he sees people. And he, has, he doesn't have a category. He doesn't have any idea. And if you zoom right in, you can see his face. He's just like this. Um, and there's a few pictures, because um, he was there. He just sat out. I didn't notice him at the time, but he was just there watching trying to figure it out because he just doesn't have a category for Christian baptism you know baptism is something you do he probably you know if he has children he sent them along when they're babies it's just 
kind of an empty ritual that you do for the party afterwards. So this idea of a bunch of people having a party on the beach celebrating baptism, he just doesn't understand it. And that's the kind of people we're trying to reach. The next uh, slide is an event. <coughs> we, we find that we've put on a few events. We're not really great at events. Um, and because there's such a community vacuum, um, so the Catholic Church would have been probably the center of the community, and it just doesn't really exist anymore in North Dublin. Um, a lot of these are new areas, so there's just no center of the community. So when we put on an event, like a, as long as it's not too overtly evangelistic, we get throngs of people. Um, so we did a carol service, the place was, was packed, we did a St. Patrick's Day um, thing, and it's packed, and um, we get to, to bring the gospel there. We get to say, well, what did Patrick believe? Um, we did a kids club, um, so three days, um, just to kind of test it out. And we went, we pushed it a little bit further. We kind of mentioned the Bible and stuff in our, our advertising. And the numbers were a good bit lower, but it was still pretty much as much as we could handle. Um, so there's an awful lot of opportunity, but for me as a leader, I'm trying not to burn us out because we're a fairly small group and we don't have Everybody's very busy, you know, that's the thing about Dublin, everybody's very busy and with work, so I don't want to load people down with extra responsibilities. We're, we're hoping on the back of that, that summer kids camp to, to do a weekly kids club on, I think we're planning on starting Monday the 18th. Um, I'd appreciate your prayer for that. Um, we're trying to figure out the insurance and all that kind of thing that comes with renting a hall, so it might be pushed back a week or two, but it looks like we'll be starting that with a bunch of children who've never heard the gospel before um, and their parents just want them out of the house. Their parents just <laughs> are looking for anything and this is this thing, it's free. Um, some we find our friends um, who live near us um, don't send their children because they know what, it's a, what we're about a bit more. Um, so we have friends who will have long conversations about the gospels but they never trust us they trust us with their children relationally, but they wouldn't trust the Christian message with their, their children with hearing the Christian message. So, so our kids club stuff attracts more kind of working class parents who maybe are a little bit more positive to Christianity. They miss Catholicism a bit more. Um, so just to go back to that, that last, that map, um, North Dublin is unreached. Um, is the next slide. And Baptist Missions is about proclaiming Christ and planting churches. And um, I'm going to preach in, in a couple of minutes from Second Corinthians about the gospel, um, how proclaiming Christ and planting churches is, is one thing. Um, people haven't seen churches. They haven't experienced. They don't know. There isn't even, well, there is a lot of suspicion, but <laughs> there's not as much suspicion as you'd imagine. I find people... Once they kind of get to know you, they, they're pretty open to anything, really. If they, they think, oh, if that's helpful to you in your life, you do that. So that's not an amazing opportunity, but it is still an opportunity. If people um, feel that something is working for you and they see a community shaped by the gospel that love each other, forgive each other, and all that stuff, um, that is very attractive and it gives an opportunity to speak the gospel. Our... Um, Progress is a church plant where 
we've been meeting for a couple of years. We've, we've grown slowly. There's a lot of healthy spiritual growth has happened in, in individuals. Um, a lot of people who had been quite negative about church and commitment have, have changed fairly dramatically. A few people have become Christians. Um, so the trajectory of the whole group has been really, really positive. So we're working towards constituting um, as a church. So late October is our, our date. I feel like you can't hold me to that. Um, we're, we're having a meeting next, um, next Sunday evening around this time. Um, we're going to meet in someone's house a kind of a, a pre-members meeting, a church family meeting, thinking about well, what is it to be, to be a church together. Um, I want to have a big dinner beforehand to get everybody happy. Um, it looks like where the dinner is going to be afterwards, so I'm going to have to have that as the motivation to get there. Um, and I'm, I'm continually surprised by God's work in some of these people. Some Christians, we get new Christians, they're enthusiastic and zealous, and we have some of that, and that's, that's beautiful. But some people have been Christians for 30 years and have been pretty majorly hurt. North Dublin, there are less churches there than there were 30 years ago. Um, there's been a lot of broken churches, a lot of bad leadership, a lot of abuse. Um, and God is restoring some of that, um, which is a privilege to be part of and to see. Next slide, I have, I have just a few things, what we need. I know we need God's help and his Holy Spirit to work, but this is just uh, the people angle of it. If you know anybody, if you have any cousins or anybody who's a Christian who's moving to Dublin to do for work or college or whatever, please just encourage them to think about getting involved in a church plant. It is, it is transformative um, to have someone who knows what it's like to be part of a church. We don't have it. Um, my wife and I have um, been around a few church plants over the years and, and helped start a few. We know up to this point, um, but we don't know what it's like to be a normal church. Um, pretty much nobody in our church plant does. So for us to have someone around who understands church life and just how to be a stable Christian and is willing to show that to other people is massive. Um, so that's that's the first two. If you know anybody, encourage them. We're not the only church plant. Um, at the moment, we're the only, the only Baptist church plant in, in Dublin, but there's so much opportunity for more. Um, there's so much need. There's In North Dublin, I could name six places now where, where churches could be planted, and there'll be no overlap with us or with any other evangelical church, um, and it's probably the same on the, the south side. So people who know what it is to be a church member, people who really believe in God's power to save and are excited about seeing it happen. This is, I, I know, I, I love it. It's, it's just amazing to see how God is at work. How we're, quite a, we're quite a cynical church, I, I think, becomes part of, of the Irish people are maybe just a bit cynical, and a lot of us have been around dysfunctional things, and, but God keeps changing that, and we see how powerfully God works, how we can expect him to do more than we naturally expect. We don't know how that's going to happen. We don't know who he's going to save, but he does save people and he gets, gets the glory. The next uh, couple of slides are um, prayer news, Baptist mission. I don't know if you, how many of you have signed up to this. I started signing up to this about 15 years ago. I knew a guy vaguely, Paul McFarland, who was, who was involved with, with Baptist missions maybe 10, 15 years ago, I don't remember. And started praying, started learning, started 
appreciating the, the style, the taking chances, taking risks, do having ambition for the gospel, but doing it in a, a church-based way. Um, I just really admired that, and that was one of the, the things which attracted us to, to join the Church Party of Baptist Association about seven years ago, uh, Jameson Road, and they've since sent us out, and we're part of Baptist Missions. So if you're not signed up to that, sign up to that. It's been a, it's been a fairly transformative thing in my life, just a little one email on a Friday, reading that, praying for that, powerful um, and the next one is um, Baptist Missions are um, project 100 target 100 a thousand and they're past 100 um, and and this is for so more people signed to support more work like we're doing um, the the churches of the association fund people to do what I'm doing in Peru and Spain and France um, and I'm glad I don't have to stand at the back with a, with a money basket asking for your money. But if you think there should be more of this happening, this is a way to, to get more involved. Um, and you can talk to, to your barristers about that. What I'm going to preach on <coughs> this morning, uh, this evening, is what I preached this morning, um, basically. So we're working towards constituting as a church six ish weeks' time. Um, so I planned out a six week series. Um, called How the Gospel Forms a Church. Um, and that's, so we're going to be looking at some of the things, you know, church, the gospel forms a community, the gospel changes lives, those kind of things. Um, today, I started out with, well, uh, what is the gospel? So just a, a narrow stop. We talk about the gospel a lot, but let's just stop and think, what is the gospel? Because the reality is some of the people who are coming to us on Sunday morning have never re heard the gospel clearly they've, they've been around it they've heard bits of it but they've never heard it clearly um, so i thought it would be good to <coughs> so I, i'm going to preach that shorter but i'm going to add in just some reflections for you so you can understand what it's like to preach the gospel in north dublin and what i hope happens through that you can understand how to preach the gospel in dundonald how it shapes how the gospel forms and shapes this church um, I don't know much about this area I've, this is the furthest east in Belfast I've, <laughs> I've been in other parts but this is the furthest east in Belfast I've been um, I really I don't have a whole heap of practical applications for you here but I hope that by showing how the gospel works for us how we speak and how we try and understand people God will be at work and you'll be helping see there's a lot of similarities I'm sure and there's I'm sure there's a lot of differences as well it's from um, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 21. This is Paul and Timothy writing to the church in Corinth. For the love of Christ controls us <coughs> because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though once we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, 
God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to mainly focus on those last two verses. Uh, maybe you can keep them up there, um, 20 and 21. He, he calls them, we are Christ's ambassadors for Christ. Um, this is Paul and Timothy. God is making this appeal through Paul and Timothy. And there's this tension that happens a few times in, in this, this section. Paul talks about how it's God's appeal, it's God's work, but it's coming through people. It's God's appeal, but he's making it through us. And then he, the next sentence, we implore you on behalf of Christ. It's God's message, but it's coming through Paul and Timothy. It's coming through, through people. The first verse in, in chapter 6, working together with him, it's that, and it keeps going. Paul talks of himself as a, a co-worker with God. He's working with God. It's a pretty big, big statement. It's God's gospel, but it always comes through people. There's no contradiction between God's appeal and we implore you. It's the same thing. It's the same method. And the gospel is a message. So what's the message? Real simple. What's he asking them to, to do? We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the, he starts with the response. This is be reconciled to God. And reconciliation is a, a relationship term. It's about broken relationship. The relationship between humans and God has been, been broken from the human side. I know that you guys are familiar with this. You're a well-taught church, I'm sure. Um, there's a lot in here that people is new <laughs> for our people. Um, so I'm, I'm going to say it and, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about what this is like if you're very familiar with it. But in North Dublin, people don't think about God. Generally, people think we're strange for talking about God so much. They don't feel broken relationship with God. They just, God's not part of their lives. Maybe God exists, maybe God doesn't. It's, it's not really that relevant. But what people feel is the results. People have never experienced relationship with God. Um, we're like fish swimming in a, a dirty fish tank. Uh, we, th we don't know that we're supposed to be in the sea. Um, but what we feel is broken relationships. What we feel is brokenness between humans and creation. And in, in North Dublin, what I often find, people I know, they'll always admit this. They'll, the God talk is strange. The God talk is weird. But everyone will admit that there's brokenness, there's discontinuity, whatever you want to call it. There's hurt, there's pain in relationships with people. Even the closest, even the best relationships, the reason they're good is because you find ways of working through the, the pain and, and the brokenness. In North Dublin, people admit there's, there's a broken relationship between people and, and God's created world. Um, and the two are connected. 
there's a, a group um, where we live in Ashtown is beside the canal and there's canals cleaning up once a month on a Saturday, it was on yesterday, I saw them um, and didn't join in. My excuse is that the children might fall in the canal and the children are getting older so that excuse is kind of wearing out and everybody gets a high-vis vest and a, a litter picker and a, and a bag, gloves, everything, the whole thing and you go along and you walk and you pick up litter in the canal. But the problem is there's hundreds of people doing this and there isn't that much litter in the canal. It's amazing. So people are, are just basically walking along, having a chat, and it seems like all is right in the world. The, the number of people picking up litter is, is 100 times bigger than the number of people throwing away litter. The world is great. Everybody feels great. There's community. Um, it's a wonderful experience for a couple of hours for people once a month. I've recently, well, a few months ago, discovered, um, and I'm trying to infiltrate, there's a secret litter picking group that meets on a less nice, there's another a river on the other side of us that is filthy, that's full of used needles, that's full of broken glass. It's, it's just a dangerous place. It's beautiful, the nature's beautiful, but it doesn't feel safe. Um, and it's basically, the, the, it's too dirty, too dangerous, too, too much chance of picking up some kind of infectious disease to just bring these untrained volunteers. So the, the elite of litter pickers get, get recruited and chosen for this secret group. I don't know how they let me in because I haven't even helped yet, but to go there um, and pick up litter. And, and the, it's phenomenal the amount of litter they pick up. I get the, on, the, the WhatsApp group and it, it's just bags and bags and bags of litter. And these people, the elite of litter picking, are really conscious of brokenness, of they wouldn't call it sin, but it's sin. They're conscious that people aren't that good. The amount of litter pickers is actually much bigger. The amount of litter droppers is much bigger than the litter pickers. People are selfish. People have broken relationships between each other. People have broken relationships. They're happy to go to this beautiful place and just smash a bottle and leave it on the ground. Um, I, I would say that's a more realistic perspective. There's a broken relationship between people in the world. And those litter pickers, I think they're heroes. Um, and and because they're, they're doing something about it. They're, they're trying to do it. And in, in relationships, if you know, you're in marriage, it's good to, to work on it. It's good to work on trying to try and get over, try and reduce that brokenness a little bit. But that's not the primary purpose of that experience. God gives us these experiences of pain, of that things aren't rightness as a signpost to broken relationship with him. That's the primary purpose of those experiences of pain. We had a couple who joined us for a couple of years um, in the church band and their lives were in a bit of a mess. Their marriage was in trouble, some mental health issues, some just frustrations in life, very ambitious people who life wasn't working out uh, for and really heard the gospel used to come along every Sunday, like would really be fully engaged. Um, and all of a sudden, they, they've had a huge amount of success um, and, and that's, they've kind of phased, the church phase of their life is, is over, they've kind of moved on. Their experience of brokenness was bringing them, causing them to seek the gospel um, in a certain way. But once the brokenness was dealt with, once the signpost was kind of, the volume was turned down a little bit on that warning, they kind of lost interest. 
in the first three chapters of the Bible, you see that God made us firstly for relationship with him and then relationship with, with each other and with his created world. Everything flows out of that. God is the source of all good and all humans have chosen to cut themselves off from that source, but still kind of trying to make it work. Jeremiah puts it like this. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That's what people do. We forsake the source where life comes from, and we try and patch together life by ourselves. I would love you guys to think about what those broken cisterns are going on in this area. I'm just thinking back through a few conversations I've had this week which point to those broken systems that people are trying to get some pure water, some life from in, in Dublin. I was talking to a guy on Friday morning um, who I would call it tech salvation. Um, that he's, He works in, in tech, computer programmer, very successful. And he's like, by the time, you know, he's my age, by the, in 50 years' time, they'll have solved all these diseases. We'll, we'll be fine. We'll, we'll be, and that's a realistic plan for him. That's, things will be okay if we just get enough tech in our lives. And that might sound crazy. It sounds crazy to me, but I know a lot of people, that's, that's basically their salvation plan. Um, I was talking to a, f- a friend on Thursday night um, who's, taken a lot of career choices which to make less money but to do more good in what what she sees which sounds great but for her those have been with progressive causes so the abortion referendum in ireland and uh, and the the gay marriage and a lot of those she's devoted she's taken backward steps career-wise to progress what is really important to move irish society forward um, to a better brighter future which I would say she, she would say is better than we can imagine. We've had this repressive past, but progressing beyond that. That's a, a salvation story. That's a, that's a life-giving thing for her. In the same conversation with a, another f- friend was, was there, and he's he probably similar views, but for him, his, his broken cistern was um, economic stability. He's a guy who's doing better. He's had a hard few years. He started a business, I think, a week before the pandemic that happened, um, really hard few years but now he's starting to do really really well he's given a, f- a phenomenal amount of hard work he's just gone sale agreed on a, a massive and crazily expensive house um, that that's his salvation that's what he's been working towards economic stability um, providing for his family there's a whole load of broken cisterns brunch i think is uh people love brunch brunch is a great meal but what people find such fulfillment people will spend five days looking forward to brunch on a saturday or a sunday and it's just it's just not going to do it you know you're, you're the brunch has to end at some stage um, there's all kinds of these things people are going to for life and it just doesn't work you don't need to know all the intimate details of someone like someone's life to know that those broken cisterns aren't providing the healthy, clean, pure water that they promise. The Bible says it. So for me, in this diverse environment, North Dublin people have got all these different, whatever, these different idolatries and sources of of life. I can safely assume, there's going to be details, but I can safely assume 
it's not working for them. Or even if it is working for them now, it's not going to work for them long term. I asked this morning, what are humans like? Um, and one person said, complicated. And I think that is a good, a really good answer. People are wonderful. People are magnificent. People are crazy in God's image. People are like God, but sinners. Truly, we can do amazing things. We are wonderful. We can come up with amazing things. Um, maybe my friend is right about some aspects of the text salvation. You know, maybe people will invent amazing things. But the reality is that tech is probably going to be more useful. People are like God, but sinners. We can't not sin. People can change. People can turn away from a, a certain bad thing and, and maybe turn and become a, what they would see as a good person, but they're going to become a judgmental person. We can't not sin. This says... Verse 20, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The reconciliation comes from God's side. That's, that's the message. It's not figure out how to reconcile yourself to God. Um, it's God has done what is needed. You can receive reconciliation with him. This is very different than the, the Catholic Church. Uh, the Catholic Church isn't really around anymore, but it it's shaped people's understanding of everything to do with religion, theology, um, and this idea of, of just receiving and us not having to work our way up and do the right thing to be accepted by God. It's really hard for people to understand. I was talking to a young woman once who said, um, of course I'm, I'll be all right with God, I'll go to heaven. I did a parachute jump, and I had, I had no, <laughs> I was like, I, I had about 30 seconds of just like, you know, just trying to make the connections, but for her, she was thinking, I did this jump. I raised, you know, 600 euros or whatever for charity. I'm a good person. God accepts good people. I'm, I'm reconciled with God. That's how unbiblical people are thinking. And that's how just silly and illogical people are thinking. We don't go looking for God and find God. God comes to save us. That's what this says. For our sake, he, God, the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the key bit. Jesus who had no sin so Jesus is fully human. We said earlier that humans are like God but sinners. So Jesus is, is like God not just because he's human but because he is God. Jesus is a human who's not a sinner. Jesus didn't need to be reconciled to, the, to God because that relationship was perfect. That's all Jesus had ever known from it before, before time began, eternity past, the Father, Son, and Spirit were in this perfect relationship of love. And it's hard for us to imagine how good that was. The best we can do is imagine the best relationship we can and multiply it by a few thousand, and that falls a good bit short. But that's what Jesus chose to give up. I said earlier, people don't think about brokenness with God, but they think about brokenness with other people and with the world. But that's exactly what Jesus went through. Jesus entered into this world of brokenness between people and brokenness with the world. He suffered the full effects of that brokenness. Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was rejected. He was abused. He was beaten. He was spat on. He was lied about. He was tortured by other people. 
Jesus experienced good things as bad things as well. Good things he, he created were used to crucify him. A tree was cut down to make a cross. Iron nails that could have been used for a house uh, were driven into his body. Um, a hill outside the city. A hill is, might, and I don't know, I haven't seen the hill, but it might have been a nice place for a picnic. Or There's lots of other good things that hill could have been used for, but that good created thing was used to crucify Jesus. His, the one who created water was thirsty in the hot sun that he created. All these good things Jesus experienced a broken relationship with. He experienced the full brokenness of human life much more than, than we experience it. And we can understand that um, because that's, it's similar to the pain um, we experience sometimes. But for Jesus, that wasn't the worst thing. For Jesus, the worst thing was experiencing a broken relationship with his father. As he died, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is this. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, even though he knew no sin. On the cross, Jesus made, God made Jesus be sin. He considered him as sin for us. So all God's righteous judgment that he'd been holding back and just giving these little signposts of pain, he poured out on Jesus. And that weight of our forsakenness is, <coughs> is so far beyond our understanding that we, we can only kind of start to understand it. But Jesus understood it and he chose it. Having had this perfect relationship with his father, he chose to have exactly the opposite. That's love. The interesting thing is, for us in North Dublin, people have no idea that that's what we believe. I say, I say similar stuff to this every week. It's on, we, we have a podcast on Spotify, it's available, you know, I, I tell people whenever I can, people have no idea. There's just a, a blockage that people just don't hear all this stuff about. It's too weird, it's too confrontational, it's too uncomfortable. Um, People don't know that we're this obsessed about Jesus' death and resurrection. I don't know if it's different up here. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe people are, um, um, have heard so much of, of the gospel that they're, they tune it out. For us, it's that because they haven't heard it, they don't have a category for processing it. Like that guy in the beach, he's just like, this is weird. I'm going to continue after with my swim after a couple of minutes. Um, most people, I find, think that we're... Trying to, to, you know, it's a version of liberal Christianity, really. Um, we're trying to be good people. Jesus is a good example. The Bible's helpful advice. Um, I think we haven't done a good job of, of telling people. We don't want to upset people with all this talk of blood and death and sin. And it's a serious problem. If we don't tell people this message, they won't get this. God makes his appeal through us. God makes his appeal through people. Verse 20. It's Apostle Paul had a, a, a unique role as an apostle, but God still makes his appeal through people. There's no actual gospel message unless it's spoken. Unless, if you don't talk about the, the blood and the death and the sin and the judgment, you're basically saying, you should live like me. Um, come 
join my church, you know, we can help you get your life together, um, which is, is anti-gospel. It's the exact opposite of the gospel. It's saying you need to improve. You need to reconcile yourself to, to God somehow. The actual gospel needs to be made fairly clear because it's not comfortable. We're not comfortable saying it. Um, people aren't comfortable hearing it. Part of the gospel for us is not believing that our lives are better than other people's. Um, believing the gospel does not make us righteous. We're not the good people living these good lives that people think we are. From a distance, it looks like that, but we need to tell people that that's not it. Believing the gospel doesn't make us righteous. Our acceptance with God, our reconciliation, isn't based on our righteousness. It's based on Jesus' righteousness. Um, this is, again, Catholic Church has a lot to answer for. They, they have across this impression, if you do this, they, there's this huge list of rules that no one could keep, but people who kind of kept most of them were, were seen as being righteous and being good people and a bit hypocritical. Um, and so that's gone, but we get seen as pretty much the same. We're just trying to be good people and maybe looking down on others. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we know we're not good people. We know we're sinners. We need Jesus to take our sin and we need to take his righteousness because we don't have our own righteousness. Um, it's a really sad thing when that happens in evangelical churches that it should be the gospel. We should be relying on Jesus' righteousness, his becoming sin for us um, when we start to it becomes about what we do in, in whatever form that takes in different cultures um, it for me as a, a leader in this, this church plant what I want to keep doing is right, there is um, there's freedom to, to live out Jesus' righteousness in, in different ways uh, we don't have to conform to a different pattern we don't have to we don't have to act Northern Irish. We don't have to act like people from the posh part of Dublin in the South Side. We don't have to be different. Jesus' righteousness is fully ours when we trust him. And the results of believing the gospel is life change. And sometimes that change comes quick and sometimes that change comes slow. There's a young woman that who I showed that picture of getting baptized. I've never seen anyone's life change so quickly. Uh, well, maybe people who are in extreme you know, circumstances, drug addiction and so on. But this... but in terms of spiritual growth and maturity, it's been a really, really quick process, and that's been a massive encouragement for the whole church plant that God does that. But it's not always like that. Sometimes it's slow. But it's not our righteousness that God is watching. God's not looking at us and seeing how we're progressing and deciding whether to accept us. Our reconciliation is based on Jesus. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. It's not our righteousness, it's his that he counts as ours. The way I think about it is positional righteousness, what we have in Jesus, he's positioned us with him, leads to progressive righteousness. God's not watching to see how we're doing with his, his checklist. He's watching his son who gave his life to give us his righteousness. And that gives an absolute certainty in life and in death. Nothing can separate you from the love of God because Jesus has already undergone that separation. Um, and he's 
been resurrected and he's bringing us new things. I th I'm going to talk about a few ways people respond in, in North Dublin when we need to tell this message. Some people think they're not good enough. Like, and you could, <laughs> if that's the point, you know, like you could, I've had this conversation a few times um, and you, you've talked about, yes, we're sinners, of course we're not good enough. And the person's like, after it, but, ah, but I'm, I'm not really good enough. What about this in my life? And you just, just hear the gospel. The gospel is that we're not good enough. Knowing, thinking you're not good enough is a great place to start. We're sinners. Jesus died for our sins so we can be declared righteous. Um, I find that those people find it hard to hear that message of the gospel, but when they see it in a few other people's lives, they kind of get the picture. They see, oh, they see people repenting. They see this person's admitting their sin and their sins are cast them out. Their sin is dealt with by Jesus and they can enjoy relationship with him. A more common one is just people just don't think they need this. Um, they can be righteous by themselves. That's a lot of my neighbors. They think they're, they're, you know, they mightn't say righteous, but they'll have whatever their own version of righteousness is. They think they have that. The entire weight of the Bible says that doesn't work. And I'm confident that it, it doesn't work. You can't dig your own little cistern um, and hope that big pure water is going to come out of it. It's, it's going to be muddy. It's going to be dirty. It's you're going to catch diseases off it and there's eventually in the long term people do admit that sometimes there's little windows of time where people admit that we had a neighbor who um, had, had cancer be about my age um, and they'd be good friends of ours and Portuguese no they're either more hardened to the gospel than, than Irish people just no interest at all no category for understanding the gospel they're just doing well at life and, and getting on with it. Um, the wife had cancer. Um, God healed her. Um, but there was a, f a short while during the midst of that where she was more open to hearing the gospel. Like I say, more open. You know, still not massively open, but way more open. She, Anya and her were meeting for coffee and talking through this stuff. Um, and so for us, that's our goal with our, our neighbors is to be there, to let them know that we believe a gospel, that we believe our lives aren't okay, so that when those, <laughs> the guard comes crashing down for some reason, that we're there to, to speak it. We had another friend um, a few months ago, um, who's quite a negative and critical person. I don't know how we ended up talking about the gospel. We knew it wasn't going to be well received, but um, I think Anya was, was mentioned something about the gospel um, and she said yeah we're not really into that kind of thing we're just chill um, and I just thought it was like <laughs> I was like I hadn't heard that one but you know it was just such a, a powerful phrase it was just like ah, you're, you're a bit into this aren't you like this is just why can't you just live your life um, you're a bit too intense with all this gospel talk and it's a pretty effective strategy of, of just covering up the, the brokenness that that person experiences in life. That person is saying, yeah, I'm just relaxing, just enjoying life. The reality is they're not enjoying life. I think we can be confident from the Bible. There's times, there, there's experiences of things not being right in relationships or in something. Um, and maybe if not now, it definitely will come. 
it's actually quite a low expectation from life to just think, just chill. The gospel is uncomfortable. And that I find someone like that, it's, it's uncomfortable to speak the gospel to because um, you're thinking, well, am I a bit too into this? But that person needs to hear my message. Um, they have exactly the same needs. They're just digging a different type of, of cistern. It's not going to work. So for the people we've gathered in the church plant, there's, uh, there's 13, to 13 to 15 Christians. Um, it's nice that it was 12 a couple of weeks ago, and it's nice that number is increasing. And, and uh, it was 12 to 13, and now it's 13 to, um, 13 to 15. And a few of them have been Christians a long time, uh, been around churches. Um, and they're thinking the danger is, and they're thinking, oh, I know all this, I've heard the gospel, and maybe this is the same danger for you. It's actually a quite a dangerous position. Um, if that becomes, I know the gospel, I believe the gospel, let's move on, let's get on with it, and let's think about what, what are the implications for my life. Um, there's a danger of drifting away from the gospel. A friend, uh, the guy actually, the same guy who, who bought the big expensive house, I remember, was very involved in the Christian unions in Trinity. I grew up in, in, in church. If you're going to pick one of us to be a Christian leader, he was the guy, you know, he was the guy with the, the ability and the intellect and everything, um, the, the, the zeal. Mm. Um, and I remember him saying once, you know, it's great to all this talk about the gospel, but we need to get more into what it means for life um, and talk less about the gospel itself. And I was just like, a oh, little uh, alarm bell went off on my head. And like, to be honest, it wasn't long after that that he walked away from the faith. Um, it's, I think it's, it's a real danger if we think that's good. Let's park that. Let's get on with doing something with it. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous that you'll end up depending on your self-righteousness as opposed to Jesus' righteousness. This letter is written to a church. Corinth, if you read 1 Corinthians, they're a fairly dysfunctional church. By the time 2 Corinthians comes around, it's actually improved a lot. But there's a danger that they're going to forget the gospel and move on. Paul peppers this letter with these, like, like we're reading here, these just intense short gospel bits. Because he wants to show them we don't move on from gospel. Whether it's, it's giving or whether it's leadership or whatever it is, the gospel needs to shape that in a deep way. It's all we have. Salvation isn't something we just experience at one stage and move on from. It's all we have. As we move towards Point Zero, and church, as we think about how the gospel shapes our church, we I want, I'm trying to do that, to show there are details and there are finances and there are practical stuff, but the gospel of Jesus, the righteousness we have in him, shapes every aspect of that. Baptist missions about proclaiming Christ and planting churches, and that's actually one task. There's, there's planting churches is a, a bit of a nebulous goal, but how you plant a church is you proclaim the gospel uh, to Christians and, and non-Christians. We all need to hear, we need to be reminded, because we just have a tendency to get self-righteous. We need to be reminded that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We need to hear that. Um, 
time. And as a church is shaped by that, it'll get planted. This is, this is what we've, we've seen. Um, the details of, of organizing as a church, and I'm training a guy to be an elder, and, I'm, and we're developing. We had no musicians, now we have, we have two musicians, which for us is massive. <laughs> um, you know, we're, you're, it's good to have those structures, but we never move beyond the gospel. Um, and something with that we've been talking a lot with people who are serving in various capacities as church as it, as it grows is they need to be receiving first before they're serving. Because there's such a danger that it becomes about what we do, our righteousness, our good things. I'm in the, I'm in the music team at church or I'm preaching or I'm whatever. Um, and that's the thing I'm doing for God. And that will make me right with God. And it's just not true. We're made right with God. It's nothing to do with what we do. It's what Jesus did for us. And so for me, I say that every week to people who are serving in church. Serving is just a, an outflow. And I'm, I prefer for people to stop serving and to get confused about that. <coughs> so that's the appeal. Um, I don't know you. Um, I don't know where you're at with this. I don't know how much gospel you've heard. I don't know, I don't know how hard your heart is or soft your heart is or anything. So I've got to make that appeal. Be reconciled to God. Respond to that gospel by putting your, your trust in him. Do that yourselves. Pray for us that more and more people in, in North Dublin City hear this gospel and put their faith in the one who gives sinners his righteousness. We've seen that a bit over the last few years and it's it's amazing. It makes all the rejection kind of worthwhile. You kind of you kind of forget about the rejection as you see that, as you see people getting their sins forgiven, getting Jesus' righteousness, and having their lives changed. It's I'm absolutely delighted. I actually say this every so often that I'm amazed that I get to do this as work. I keep expecting Baptist missions to call up and and say <laughs> it's too good a job. You have to do it for free, um, but it is. It's it's a real blessing to to do this um, and to, to have, I was, we were planting a church for a few years before I was working as an engineer and I was a bit sleep deprived <laughs> um, and it's just been a real blessing to be set free to proclaim Christ, plant churches, to speak the gospel to, to people who aren't hearing it otherwise. Um, should I pray? Father, thank you for this church. Um, thank you for how your gospel has formed this church, for how you have worked in people's lives by your spirit, that they've been convicted of their sins. Um, they've delighted in being able to, to take on Jesus' righteousness. Thank you for how you've done that over many, many years and, and generations and how you're continuing to do that now. We pray that this church will have a deep joy in the gospel that they will um, not be tempted to trust their own righteousness, but that they would be amazed at that Jesus gives us his righteousness. We pray that they'll, they'll grow in love for each other, they'll grow in, in love for the surrounding community, that they'll um, grow in desire to speak this gospel, that they'll um, not be afraid of rejection, but that they'll see that Jesus was rejected so they could be reconciled. Thank you that this is what you do. Thank you for your work in all around um, Ireland. And um, thank you for the, 
the growth in the gospel that there has been in recent years and churches being planted and new people hearing the gospel and putting their faith in Jesus. Thank you that we can be partners together in this, um, that you are at work in different ways um, through the same gospel all across this island. We pray that you'll continue that, that you'll deepen our relationships, that you'll continue to work by your spirit to make people righteous and to bring in here. Amen.